Out in the wine dark sea, there lies a land called Crete, a rich and lovely sea girt land, densely peopled with 90 cities and several different languages. One of the 90 towns is a great city called Knossos, and there King Minos ruled. Hundreds of years after the collapse of the Minoans, the poet Homer sang these lines in his epic poem, The Odyssey, remembering a lost civilization only existing in memories passed down from generation to generation. Hello, I'm Mark Selleck, and welcome back to Casting Through Ancient Greece, Episode 3, The Minoans. In this episode, we are going to continue our look at the Bronze Age, where we will focus on the earliest civilization known in the Aegean, that Arthur Evans had coined the Minoans, named after their mythical king, Minos. We need to keep in mind that the Minoans are one of the most obscure civilizations that we are going to talk about, as most of what we know which is not very much, comes from the archaeological evidence and passages found in works that are myth themselves or recounting from a time shrouded in myth. So a lot of what we know needs to be heavily interpreted, and we need to accept that for a lot of this civilization, much still remains a mystery. We will explore what the Minoan period is, how Evans and others divided up the period for historical and classification's sake. We will then look at the geography and climate of the Minoan's home island, Crete and possible origins of the Minoans themselves. This will then take us to the early Minoan period, where organised settlements and structures developed, before then heading into what is known as the Palatial Period, where the great palaces emerged. We will then look at some of the cultural aspects such as religion, art and writing. Then we will look at the contacts the Minoans had outside of their homeland. This will then bring us to a point where we will have a look at some of the theories that try to explain the collapse of the Minoans and they're fading into the past. So let us start with what the Minoan period was. Minoan civilization has been divided up by historians and archaeologists in periods. There are two basic methods of breaking down these stages. The first is based around pottery styles, which are early Minoan, middle Minoan, and late Minoan. The second method is tied more into events happening around the palaces, which are pre-palatial, proto-palatial, neo-palatial, and post-palatial. Both of these methods somewhat line up in dates, but there is also some overlap, so let's have a brief look at when these periods were and what was happening in them. The early Minoan and pre-palatial period begins with the early Bronze Age on Crete, which is thought to have taken place somewhere around 3500 BC. As we have talked about before, the onset of the Bronze Age would have started changing structures and seeing a leap forward in human endeavours. It seems as the early period approached the middle Minoan period, the governmental structures changed from local elite groups to a system of monarchy, with the appearance of the first palaces in around 2200 BC. We then start shifting into the Middle Minoan period, which includes the end of the pre-palatial, all of the proto-palatial, and majority of the neo-palatial periods. The date often given to the beginning of this period is around 2200 BC, when the first palaces started appearing. These palaces seem to have acted as a centralised location of government, collection and redistribution. Proto-palatial period then came to an end through a great disturbance, such as an earthquake or invasion, around 1700 BC. The start of the neo-palatial period, or the new palace period, saw an increase in population and the building of larger palace complexes. The neo-palatial period would be the height of Minoan civilization, enduring to around the beginning of the 15th century BC. The late Minoan period also saw the end of the Neo-Palatial period, where another catastrophe occurred, 
The palaces were rebuilt, though not to the same standards as the earlier ones. But a turning point seems to have been reached once yet another natural disaster hit the recovering sites, moving them into the post-palatial period. The Minoans were still able to influence Crete for a time, but seemed to be waning in power, as once the influence of another Bronze Age civilization arrived from the Greek mainland, the Minoan civilization of Crete would transfer into being part of the Mycenaean civilization, who we will explore in our next episode. Crete is located in the eastern Mediterranean, south of the Greek mainland, with the Aegean Sea on its northern shore and the Libyan Sea on its southern shore. The island is around 200 kilometers west to east and ranges between around 12 to 58 kilometers north to south, making it one of the largest in the Mediterranean. The island itself is made up of tall rugged mountains, gentle rolling hill plateaus and a number of natural harbors, mostly on the northern coast. Although the island is bare of trees, back in Minoan times, there were forests which dotted the island. Climate of Crete is much the same as the Greek mainland, warm and dry summers and short mild winters, which makes it an ideal location for agriculture. As we heard at the start of the episode, Homer tells us that there were 90 cities on Crete. Whether this number was reflecting Minoan times, times closer to when Homer lived or just an exaggeration is not too important but it gets the point across that the Minoans were seen as having a flourishing population. The largest sites from the Minoan period are Knossos, 5 kilometres from the northern central coast, Phaistos on the southern central coast, Malia on the northern coast some 20 kilometres east of Knossos, and Zakros was on the eastern coastline. The site at Knossos had been inhabited by Neolithic farmers as far back as 7000 BC and maybe even longer. There is also evidence of Homo sapien habitation on Crete going back as far as 12,000 BC, and earlier pre-Homo sapiens perhaps going back as far as 100,000 BC or more. It wasn't until about 2,200 BC that a fully functional civilization began to appear, which is also known as the Palatial Period. This would also put the Minoans as one of the earliest known civilizations to develop in Europe. The palaces of the Minoans were found all over Crete, as well as an abundance of tombs and cemeteries. As we have said, the first palaces started appearing around 2200 BC in the main sites of Knossos, Phastios, Malia and Zakros. From the archaeological evidence, it would seem that these palaces acted as a centre for trade, religion, administration and even possibly a political structure. The storage rooms found within the complexes indicate that large quantities of food goods as well as metals and potteries were stored within the palaces. The early history of these palaces hasn't revealed to us yet the political relationship between the different locations. It would seem they had some control over their regions, but it's hard to tell if they served one political system or were separate from each other. Around 1700 BC, signs start to appear that link the palaces to serving one political system, which was centred on Knossos, as the same form of writing was being used in all the palace sites by this stage, as well as the styles and building being much more uniform from site to site. Being able to identify this change fits in with the two palace periods, the proto-palatial or old palace period and the neo or new palace period, with the period being interrupted by natural disaster and even conflict which may have contributed to the changes. All the palace sites were absent of any type of fortification for protection, which could indicate that early on a large political relationship between them, or at least the different areas were on mostly friendly terms for most of their existence. Though a large collection of weapons and defensive equipment 
have also been uncovered at the sites. Later on, once working as a larger political entity, the protection of the Minoans may have existed in their power and reach of influence. This combined with the fact it would be much harder to invade their homeland with what might have been the largest navy in the area, as alluded to by Thucydides, when he says, And the first person known to us by tradition, as having established a navy, is Minos. He made himself master of what is now called the Hellenic Sea, and ruled over the Cyclades. Now let's turn to what was happening in some elements of Minoan civilization. In amongst the ruins of the palaces and tombs, many items were uncovered that can give us an idea of some of the cultural elements of the Minoans. The art and statues that have been found have led historians to conclude the Minoans participated in religious ceremonies and had a strong connection to the natural world. The artworks seem to portray religious activities taking place such as processions, offerings, feasts and the pouring of libations. Also, many figurines were found of Mother Earth goddesses and males holding animals suggesting the importance of the natural world. The palace complexes also contain large open courtyards areas that were perfect for large gatherings of people for communal ceremonies. It would also appear that the bull featured as an important religious figure, as many frescoes, pottery, decorations, jewellery, and even the architecture of the palaces had elements of the bull built into them. A famous fresco uncovered from Knossos has what seems to be a sporting event of bull leapers. The image shows a person in front of a large bull, with another person somersaulting over the bull, while another has their hands held out behind the bull ready to catch the gymnast. All of these bull images have also given life to the myth of King Minos's Minotaur in the labyrinth which Theseus slays. The basic story of this myth is that Minos defeats the Athenians, who were then forced to pay reparations to the Minoans in the form of seven boys and seven girls every year. These young Athenians would then be sent into the labyrinth that Minos had constructed to house the Minotaur, a man with a bull's head, who would devour the youths. Theseus reunited after his travels with his father, the king of Athens, volunteers himself to be one of the youths. He is able to defeat the Minotaur and dissolve Athens of its burden. There is a lot more to the myth, but this is the basic storyline. Maybe somewhere in the future I might add into the series, or separately do some episodes that focus on the myths in greater detail. What also brought this myth to life was during the excavations of Knossos, a vast complex of rooms and corridors was uncovered, giving the sense of a labyrinth. Something that seems to be essential to any civilization is the invention of writing. Three forms have been found on Crete that can be traced to the Minoan civilization, though the latter of the forms, known as Linear B, was occurring as the distinctly Minoan civilization was becoming Mycenaean. Linear B has been deciphered, but we shall talk more about that in our next episode when we discuss the Mycenaeans. The two other scripts that were in use during the Minoan civilization were of a hieroglyphic system that was in use first, and then a script known as Linear A. Both of these scripts have yet to be deciphered. It appears that most of the examples of these were used for administrative purposes, as many were on clay tablets that were found in the storerooms of the palaces. Clay tablets were the primary way of a script to be written down, as a record could be put onto a tablet, and then once it was no longer required, the tablet could be effectively rubbed out and used again. The examples that have been uncovered have been baked in a fire, presumably during the sacking of the palaces, where they would have been preserved. Pretty much all uncovered tablets that have been found from all around the world have been preserved due to fire, usually coming from the sacking of a city or a palace. We have briefly talked about Minoan art when looking at the context of religion, but it is also relevant to note that the frescoes found in the palaces 
were of an extremely high quality for a civilization in that time period. A lot of the frescoes and figurines of the Minoans give us a basic view of what they wore, with the men who were usually coloured red wore a belted loincloth, while the women were coloured a white in a flowing dresses open at the front. Although many frescoes were of religious ceremonies and sporting scenes as discussed earlier, there were also examples of natural landscapes and scenes with animals without the presence of any humans. The presence of people depicted in art was an extremely common occurrence in ancient artworks. And these natural depictions done by the Minoans are some of the earliest examples found devoid of any people. A number of the natural scenes were also of the sea, so not only did these frescoes further point to how important the natural environment was to the Minoans, but they seemed to have a great appreciation of the sea and seafaring. This would naturally bring the Minoans into contact with others further afield. Continuing on from Thucydides' earlier quote, he said, Into most, referring to the Cyclades, he, being Minos, sent the first colonies, expelling the Carians and appointing his own sons as governors. And thus did his best to put down piracy in those waters, a necessary step to secure revenues for his own use. It has been suggested that the Minoans were the first civilization to establish a thalassocracy, the word coming from the Greek words thalassa, meaning sea, and kratos, meaning power. Several Greek islands, especially those in the Cyclades, being the name given to the group of islands southeast of the Greek mainland, show evidence of being under Minoan control. This presents itself through much of the artwork and pottery uncovered, which are described as Minoan. Also on many of these islands, there is evidence of a palace society, similar to that found on Crete, where the economy was centred on the palace. Although this suggestion is not fully supported, it perhaps seems more likely than not, as to be able to protect these shipping routes and colonies, the Minoans would have had to exert a powerful influence throughout the region. They would have had to be powerful enough to prevent pirates from disrupting the trade routes while also providing enough protection to the colonies from outside attack. So to protect these colonies, the Minoans would have had to have engaged in what Thucydides relays to us, in what tradition tells him. As well as having these colonies, the Minoans were actively engaging in trade. They produced pottery, meats, fruit and timber that were traded for precious items that they did not produce. There is much evidence that they received copper from Attica on the Greek mainland and Cyprus, while also receiving ivory from Egypt. It also appears that Egypt and the Levant commissioned Minoan artists to provide royal palaces with artwork such as what was uncovered on the site of Tel El Daba in the Nile Delta. Here a fresco in the same style as found throughout Minoan palaces was painted on the wall which also depicts an athletic scene with bulls. The ruins on Crete suggest a peaceful civilization through the absence of wartime activities in their artwork and their palaces not being surrounded by fortifications. Though this seems to be unrealistic in a civilization exerting power from their homeland. As we saw, collections of weapons have been found at the palaces, which like other items, may have been stored there. Possibly the power exerted by the Minoans was effective in protecting Crete, coupled with the only suitable places to land an invading force was on the shore facing the Aegean. So they instead engaged in campaigns on the edges of their influence, carving out new colonies and protecting established ones. Crete itself may have only become vulnerable once the outer influences had been disrupted from a massive military defeat as suggested by Herodotus. He tells a story about a massive expedition the Minoans engaged in against Sicily that ended in disaster and left Crete vulnerable. Or perhaps an event caused by a natural disaster or competition from an emerging power in the region led to a weakening of Minoan influence in the area. 
Not all civilizations last forever, and the Minoans would be no exception. What is clear is that the Minoans suffered from fire and destruction during their decline. Though what is not clear is what caused the Minoans to shift into decline. We know that the Minoans suffered a great natural disaster, but were able to recover moving into the New Palace period and the height of the Minoan civilization around 1700 BC. This may have led to the Minoans reaching their golden age due to other peoples in the Aegean not being able to recover and the Minoans taking advantage of the aftermath. There is also another natural disaster that takes place in the Aegean later on, the eruption of Mount Thera on the modern-day island of Santorini, which has been cited as wiping out the Minoans. Invaders from the Greek mainland have also been used to explain their end, as a new language and culture seems to have taken over on Crete. Though I think we will start with a theory that is presented in a passage from Herodotus's histories, where a great Minoan military defeat far afield brought the Minoans to their knees. Herodotus's version of the decline of the Minoans was in relation to a military campaign on Sicily, after King Minos met a violent end there. The Minoans were encouraged by God to set sail for Sicily and besiege a town on the island. After five years, the Minoans had failed to take the town and set sail, but were caught in a storm. All of their ships were smashed up onto the shore in what appears to be Italy, and the survivors stranded there. With no way for them to return to Crete, they founded a city called Heraria. Herodotus' account then continues to tell us that Crete was depopulated after this disaster and re-inhabited by the Greeks. So from this we can perhaps see that a great military defeat had been brought against the Minoans, severely weakening their army, and they were eventually unable to defend Crete from external threats, which led to it being taken by invaders. Though the chronology of Herodotus' account doesn't fit together fully, as he said Minos died three generations before the Trojan War, which from modern day calculations would be 100 years after the Greeks had already settled on Crete. Although the Minoans could have suffered a catastrophic military defeat that left their homeland exposed to outsiders, the story Herodotus conveys would have taken place when Crete would have already been settled by people from mainland Greece. With this in mind, we may need to turn to some other explanations for answers. Earthquakes were a somewhat regular occurrence during the Minoans' history, with evidence of them recovering in around 1700 BC from an earlier disaster. Though as we said earlier, this natural disaster didn't topple the Minoans, but saw them recover and prosper. Another disaster did occur though, the eruption of Mount Thera, which is around 140 kilometres from Crete and supposedly one of the largest eruptions in known human history. A professor by the name of Spiridon Marinatos proposed that the Thera eruption had brought the Minoan civilization to an end. His theory saw the seismic activity leading up to or after the eruption destroying the palaces while the tsunamis that would have been generated destroying the naval power of the Minoans. The volcanic ash that would have been shot up into the atmosphere settled down on Crete and covered all the crops and caused the death of the island's livestock. One can imagine that if this was the case, the demise of the Minoans would have taken place very rapidly. Professor Marinatos proposed this theory in 1939, and many others agree that it was possible that due to the large scale of the eruption, this could have taken place. Though in the last few decades evidence has appeared that shows that the Minoans didn't suffer a rapid demise. The theory behind the ash choking off the plant life has been questioned, as after extensive fieldwork it has been found that the thickest layer of ash that fell on Crete during the Thera eruption was 5mm thick. It has been suggested that the ash cloud that developed moved eastwards due to the jet streams in the area, not south towards Crete. The biggest piece of evidence that doesn't point to a rapid end is the likely dating of the Thera eruption. Ice core samples taken in Greenland dated ash from the Thera eruption 
1645 BC, which shows that the Minoans were still functioning as a civilization for some 150 to 200 years before evidence of outside influence started to take over on Crete. So while the Thera eruption would have been a major disruption to Minoan civilization, it doesn't appear to be the sole reason for the end of the Minoan civilization. The invasion of Crete has been seen as another cause for the fall of the Minoans. These invaders are that of the Mycenaeans from mainland Greece. There has been evidence of fire and destruction all over Crete, which some have seen to support a violent invasion as their end. Though the destruction has been argued to have been from yet another earthquake occurring around 1450 BC. Though what is interesting is that Knossos doesn't seem to have been affected in this latest round of destruction like most other sites on Crete. The Minoans and Mycenaeans had been in contact for some centuries, and there doesn't appear to be much doubt that the Mycenaeans had become the dominant power on Crete from around 1400 BC, as signs of their culture can be seen in Crete from this point on. One of the biggest pieces of evidence is the appearance of Linear B being used in the palaces for administrative purposes, replacing Linear A. Linear B doesn't appear to have any relationship to Linear A, and appears to be of an older Greek dialect, which has been found to be used by the Mycenaeans. What we really don't know, though, is whether the Mycenaeans came to Crete peacefully, with their culture and influences taking over the declining Minoans, or whether they arrived on Crete for conquest and taking the Minoans by force. What seems reasonable to theorise from the scant evidence that we do have to work with today is that after the eruption of Thera, the Minoans had suffered and were beginning to decline. The disruption may have caused economic hardship as the Minoans had many colonies and trade routes in the Aegean, one being the island where Thera is. Much of the Minoan navy, and many of the ports as well as the colonies, may have been destroyed. The Minoans would have had to rebuild, but without their large sea network and the palaces could not be built to the same standard as before. Over the next 150 years or so, Minoan influence wouldn't have been what it used to be. Also, the Minoans would have had probably still to support a large population based off their wealth before the disaster. This may have also seen internal strife, as people on the whole would have been become poorer in a system based off redistribution. It's hard to say if Knossos remained the central point of power, or if the other palace sites were now in competition. Though as we have seen before, there are no known fortifications around any of the palace sites. The Mycenaeans would have already been in trade contact with the Minoans, and aware of the troubles of the civilization. Once the latest disaster hit, this may well have brought the Minoans to their knees. So, although we know that the Mycenaeans came to settle on Crete, we are not aware if it was through peaceful colonisation or conquest. As we have seen in this episode, the traditional tales told about the Bronze Age civilization on Crete was brought back to life just over a hundred years ago. Although the details about the myths may have been fanciful, the general outline rested on events in the past, as some of the uncovered archaeological evidence has shown. The Minoans are now the oldest known civilization to have existed in the Mediterranean and Europe, though a lot of what we know of them today is generally arrived at through interpretation of the myths and evidence. As we saw, although they contended with many natural disasters, they were strong enough to recover and prosper. They were able to exert their cultural influence across the Mediterranean, with Minoan styles and pottery and art found in Egypt, Mycenaean Greece, and throughout the Cyclades. It appears that they had tamed the sea and became wealthy from seaborne trade and colonies afar. They had developed a writing system known as Linear A, which was used in all administrative centres, that to this day still has to be deciphered. As we also saw, their decline is abounded by many theories, and it seems that a single one doesn't seem sufficient to explain their relegation to history. Though as I outlined earlier, I think I have presented, like others, 
a rational theory that incorporates these other explanations that shows a decline over time. Though, like a lot of what we have spoken about and that has been written about the Minoans, they are our best guesses with the available information. And until more evidence is discovered, we will have to be satisfied theorising what we may know and accepting that there is a lot that we just don't know. In our next episode, we're going to look at the other Bronze Age civilization who supplanted the Minoans in the Aegean, the Mycenaeans, with their homeland on the Greek mainland. The archaic and classical Greeks would look back to these ancestors of their past to explain family lineages as well as the foundations of important cities. So until next time, thank you for your support, and I hope to see you back for episode 4, The Mycenaeans. <laughs>